Good evening. How are we doing tonight? We okay? Good, good. Well, grab your Bible. We're going to be in Luke 22 this evening. Luke chapter 22. I love this time of year when we have so many vivid pictures that can come to our mind of what this Holy Week is all about, and, and not just in the Christian Super Bowl of weeks, but in helping us see what Jesus is all about and when He extends relationship to us. We're seeing the heart of Christ really opened up to us this whole week long and in and, and different vantage points all the way through. And by way of reminder, if you weren't here with us last week, we're, we're not taking things in order per se, but we're looking uh, these last couple of weeks at all the stuff that's happening around this time of the Christian calendar and in the, in the Christian year. And we were looking at Jesus on the cross and we saw this tale of two sinners. We saw how one cried out curses to Jesus and Jesus met him with silence. Man, he's been working on my heart in that area. You ever need the power of God to just keep your mouth shut? I do. We saw on the other side, there was another criminal, another sinner there who who cried out, not curses, but cried out for help. And remember, Jesus met him with salvation. And every one of these encounters of these real life events that we look at throughout this week, it gives us another picture of the heart of Jesus, another picture of this one who we follow, we call Lord, Savior, Master, our Messiah. And, and tonight we're going to do that again as we look at the example of Jesus at the Last Supper. But before we get to it, I want to make sure that we can kind of see how all this weaves together and and what Jesus has been teaching us. We saw this morning these four pictures of how far God's love would go to reach you and me. We saw that in the book of John, Jesus came and he was rejected by those who should have accepted him. His own received him not. John 1, 10 and 11 gives to us. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and His own received Him not. We see this Revelation 3 passage where Jesus is standing at the door and knocking, and He's putting Himself in a position like we talked about this morning, where He could be rejected, where He could be turned away. We're seeing another example, another glimpse of who this Jesus is that we call friend. That He's given us the ability to call Him friend. Where did that come from? Well, just read John 15, read on. He says, I, 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 I'm going to tell you everything the Father tells me. And, and so the, the servant doesn't know everything that the Master is saying. And so he's going to enter into this relationship with us. Who is this Jesus? He's the one who put himself in a place where he was rejected. We also saw this morning and on this Palm Sunday where he's the one who humbled himself, this almighty king, to ride in on a donkey. Now, I've been informed that this is probably a burrow. All right, well, I'm going to blame Google because when I searched donkey, this is what came up. I don't know if you've ever been around a, uh, a burrow or a donkey. I've been around both, and I didn't pay attention too much to the picture when I was uh, working with this. You know, a burrow is huge. I remember walking down a path down the Grand Canyon. These are, these are big animals, large animals, so large that for me and the burrow to share a path together, I was not okay with, but, but they're, they're big animals. Not so with the donkey. As a friend aptly put, uh, Brady, if you were on a donkey, your feet would probably touch the ground. I remember being in an Easter uh, play for a number of years, and my role was, was Joseph. 
And as I would lead the donkey in, I thought it would be kind of fun to try to ride the donkey behind stage. The donkey did not think that would be fun. Animals larger than me freak me out. I don't like any animal bigger than me. And a donkey is, is, is larger than me. It's small, but it, it's a big deal. They, they are not very cooperative animals. They don't speak of pomp and circumstance and, and power. They speak of, of the, the pack mule. They speak of this service animal. They speak of what is used to get the job done. Jesus chose the contrast between the horse and and the donkey. It's important to us as we come to understanding the example of Jesus in this Last Supper. We'll get to that in just a minute. But we also saw Jesus washing feet, taking the example of being a servant. And last week and this morning we touched on Jesus on the cross. Well, tonight I want us to look at the example that Jesus gives to us on this Thursday, the First Communion, and this Passover time. I can't think of a better way to look at the example that Jesus gives to us than we'll be partaking of communion together. But before we do, tonight's message or teaching, it's it's a ramp up to the big deal in communion. And we'll get to that. But before we partake of the fruit of the vine, before we take of, of the, the bread, we're, we're going to see What was Jesus teaching? What example did he give? How did he come to the disciples in this time? And what could you and I learn from this, not just as we receive communion tonight, but also throughout this holy week? And I believe it could could change some stuff at the Good Friday service for you and I. Our hearts and attitude could be in a place that's ready to, to really enter into him. It could change some things about how we prepare for Easter. It could change some things about how we have always thought about what's going on around us at this time of year and say, Jesus, maybe I could go a little bit deeper with you this Easter by following your example. This Holy Week gives us this example. Take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 22. I want to read verse 7 through uh, 16 and, and maybe a little bit farther. Actually, I may read a little bit farther for us tonight. The word of the Lord from Luke 22, starting at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, The teacher asked, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, 
and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. Lord, I thank you for what you are going to unpack for us tonight and helping us see another picture of your heart, your attitude, your love for us. And Lord, as we zero in on your example you give to us at this first communion as you celebrated this Passover with your disciples, would you not only teach us in this example, but would you empower us and give us a passion to follow your example? In your name I ask these things. Amen. Four brief things, not long tonight, that I want us to to look at, uh, seeing the heart of Jesus when he came to this last supper, this first communion. First, his heart was filled with desire. We can find that in the text. He, He came eagerly desiring to partake of this Passover with them. Now, when we see that his heart was full of desire, it also tells us his heart didn't come with some other things, some things that could be good or not so good, that if we're honest, we could come to the Lord's Supper. We could come to this time in this season with other things in our heart. Not all bad, but it's a little bit different than the example that Jesus has when he comes with desire. The, the, the first of these things that could be for us is, it's not in your outline, but, but, but think about some of these things. We, we could come out of habit. Now, he did not come out of habit, though habit can be a good thing. There can be good habits. We ought to have good habits. I remember my parents trying to instill some good habits in me. Brush your teeth every day, they said. I didn't like that. Comb your hair every day. They were wrong. If I wouldn't have done that, I would have probably still had some. I don't know when you think about the good habits that you have ingrained in your life. Habits are not all bad. We, we, we need good habits. It's amazing to me how good habits can be so hard to learn and they can be easy to, to let go of, but bad habits are the opposite. They're so easy to learn and they're hard to break. And so habits are not necessarily good or bad. They can be both good and bad and we are to have good habits, but Jesus didn't come out of a habit. But, but think about this idea of habits for just a minute. I, I want us to understand that when we have these habits, they're not all bad. They can be good. When you think about exercise habits, hard to start, good to keep. Your dietary habits, they may be hard to get to, but good once you follow them. Our daily time with the Lord. I remember saying that was taught to me over and over and over again. Brady, time with Jesus first starts as a discipline before it ever gets to a joy. There is a habit that is formed of waking up and spending time with Jesus. There's a habit that is formed when we begin to study our Bible in a systematic, regular way. These are good things. But that's not what we see here. Not to say that habits are bad, but it's a little bit different than what we see here. Now, we shouldn't jettison habits and say, well, because Jesus' example is different, we shouldn't have it. No, no, no. In Luke 4.16, we see that, that Jesus had this habit, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. Jesus had the habit, he was trained in the habit to go into the synagogue. 
The habit of Jesus was to attend worship every week on the appointed day for Jewish worship. He had habits. The Apostle Paul had such a habit in Acts 17 too. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. There was habits that he had in his life. Acts 3.1, on one day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time or the appointed time for prayer. Peter and John had a regular habit or a time for prayer. But Jesus didn't come out of habit, though there are good and bad habits. He also didn't come out of tradition or custom. Now there are value, values in customs and traditions. I want you to think about what customs that you have value in. What traditions you have value in. When we pray, when we bow our heads and close our eyes, this is our custom and our tradition. Oh, we can find language that talks about being reverent before the Lord. We can find language that talks about bowing before the Lord. But, but our Western idea of hands folded and clasped. <laughs> I had a well-meaning Sunday school teacher who had some pretty bad theology. He said, uh, Brady, when you pray like this, you are praying to the devil because your fingers are down. When you pray like this, you're praying to Jesus because your fingers are up. It messed me up for a long time. <laughs> it's amazing the things that we are taught that may or may not be true. But we have... These customs and traditions. Custom traditions aren't bad, though they can be. Sunday school is a tradition. It's a custom. And it can be excellent. It can be a great vehicle or avenue for us to engage the living God. Groups are a custom or a tradition. They can be a great avenue for us to, to meet Jesus there. But, but what we're finding here, this example of Jesus, this is, is more than just a habit. It's more than just a custom. Also, the scripture talks about the danger of customs, danger of tradition. The danger is not in having them. The danger is in serving them over God. Mark 7, 8, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. So, so catch this. It's not the tradition or the custom or the habit that is wrong. It's the lifting up, the worshiping, the holding on to the custom, to the tradition, to the habit over the law of God, over the Lord himself that presents this crisis in our faith. The example that Jesus gives to us here at this First Communion, at this Last Supper, we begin to see his desire bringing him to this is a great example for us. He didn't come out of duty. Now, if it's good to come out of habit, it's better to come out of a sense of duty. Duty or my responsibility or my obligation that I've signed up for seems to be a forgotten word in the vocabulary of our contemporary society. We honor those who have served and done their duty to society in a number of different ways. Whether it's our military, whether it's our servicemen and women who serve us in all kinds of capacities. When someone is operating out of a sense of duty, we respect that, we honor that, we lift that up. And there is great value in duty. But Jesus did not come out of duty either. He came out of desire. If it's good to come out of habit, if it's better to come out of duty, it is best to come out of desire. If you do not desire to be at the Lord's table, if you do not desire to be at, at, at communion with Him, if you do not desire to sit at His feet, it's an indication that there is some spiritual sickness taking place. 
Now, I don't mean by desire emotion. I don't mean by desire every fleeting thought or feeling. I mean this hunger in you. See, the Lord gives us an appetite for things of Him. He gives us an appetite for righteousness. He gives us an appetite to be in His presence. And and Jesus is giving us an example here. He came out of this eager desire to, to partake of the Passover with them. That's the first example. The second example we see is Jesus' heart was filled with anticipation. As we look backward to this event, he was looking forward to it. He made preparations for it. So much so that as he sent his disciples to go, he and his divinity said, there will be things that are prepared for you. Go and ask these questions and it's set up. As I think of the disciples who who had that assignment to go and, and just find this person and say, well, the teacher says I should have... <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued when I think of this dialogue. I, I, I try to imagine, what if that was me? Jesus is kind of weird. The teacher says I'm supposed to have your house. Where are we supposed to meet? I don't know. Who are you? It, it took faith for them to see that Jesus had preparations and his divinity all set up and the lord orchestrated some things to take place as he was anticipating this time with them he was looking forward to it there was preparation involved as we will partake of communion here in just a few moments it's obvious that preparation was made for these elements we also had physical preparation to be here tonight you did some kind of preparing this morning showering i hope Being clothed, you all are. Combing your hair or lack thereof. Preparing yourself to be presentable in public. We have preparations for the things that are important to us. And I ask you, what is it that you are anticipating that you prepare for? Where your passion is, you often can find anticipation to prepare. What would it look like if we followed Jesus' example in this holy week in anticipation for what is coming up to prepare our hearts? I don't just mean about getting here early to get a good seat in the Good Friday service, though I'd recommend that. I don't mean just uh, praying about who you would ask to invite to to Easter Sunday, though I, I, I want you to do that. I mean, is there preparation in your heart to say, Jesus I want to encounter you at a new and fresh and deeper level this Easter. Not that the old things were bad. It, it's not that I've never really understood and now I have brand new revelation I've never ever had before. No, no, it's, it's Lord, I need a new fresh meal. Last year's food was good for last year, but, but I'm hungry to feast on you now. Lord, I'm anticipating an amazing time with you. What are you anticipating? Jesus gives us the example of anticipation. Also, as he speaks in this passage of looking forward to partaking of the fruit of the vine again when we are with him in heaven. We can have the example of a heart filled with anticipation in this Easter season of the day that we are face to face with Jesus. When all these images, as the book of Revelation, begin to flip, the one who has come Allowing himself to be rejected will be rejected no more. He comes with holy judgment. He comes 
no more on a donkey. He comes riding on a stallion. We begin to see the imagery of the king of kings coming in holy power. We begin to see there's not Jesus on his knees washing feet. Everyone else will be on their knees worshiping him. And we begin to see this cross as exchanged for a throne as we worship him in heaven. Are we anticipating that day? Jesus gives us the example of how to live and desiring to partake of his meal, desiring to have this anticipation. Third, we see his heart filled with thanksgiving. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 24 gives us another perspective of this same passage. I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Think about this for a moment. How could he be thankful in the face of betrayal? How could he be thankful in the face of an excruciatingly painful death that was on the horizon? He couldn't give thanks for family because he had none. He couldn't give thanks for a hometown that loved him because he had none. He couldn't give thanks for the twelve because soon they would run away. He couldn't give thanks for life because he was about to lose his earthly life. Luke 23 Verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last breath. He could be thankful for God's hands to whom he would be delivered to. Could we learn how to have thanksgiving, not just based on what we feel like blessings we've had, but into whose hands we commit our spirit? The sheer basis of his thanksgiving was that his father knew what was best. And he committed himself to his father in the face of death, in the face of rejection, in the face of betrayal, in the face of abandonment. And he could have a heart of thanksgiving. Fourth, his heart was filled with humility. We've talked about it a lot today. I won't belabor that point. Humility of riding in on a donkey. Humility of willingness to sit at the table with the one who will betray him. Humility in washing his disciples' feet. I said four. I was not correct. There's five. (laughs) There's one more. His heart was filled with forgiveness. He came ready to extend forgiveness to Judas. He symbolized this in his act of friendship recorded in John 13, 26. Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. He died for Judas, as well as the other eleven. We come to receive his forgiveness. We also come to extend forgiveness to others. The example that Jesus gave to us as we partake of communion here now, his heart was filled with desire, longing to be at this supper, anticipation in preparation of thanksgiving, of humility, and forgiveness. As our ushers come and Pastor Edgar comes now, this is the core of our core. This is not a new environment for, for most. And in a moment, you'll receive the elements. 
I want to encourage you just to hold them in your hand. But I want you to be thinking about the example that we have just heard about through Scripture, what Jesus has taught to us about desire, anticipation, thanksgiving, humility, and forgiveness. I want to remind you, if you are new here at Grace Point, we serve open communion. By that I mean you don't have to be a member here. But this is for every man or woman or boy or girl who says Jesus is my Lord and Savior. This is for the believer. But I encourage you, hold this in your hand. Let's wait and we'll partake of it together. Let's focus on his example. Yes, some instructions. Some of you will be receiving the the cup with a wafer. Others, you may receive one where the cellophane is here. I'll give us some instructions on how to access that in just a moment. 